This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is Thursday, February 9th. It, uh, we're recording right after the State of the Union and after some very strong January jobs numbers. Markets come off its highs a little bit over the last couple days. Uh, still great returns really since Christmas. Uh, strong, strong year to date, of course. Tim, kind of let's talk, uh, let's open the discussion on what's going on broadly, and then we'll kind of get into these jobs numbers. Yeah. You know, I wrote my essay this past week about living through a short squeeze in May of 2008. It was four months before Lehman Brothers came and the market would absolutely crash. We were well into the bear market, but, you know, you have bear market rallies that are vicious and none of us have uh, a globe to see what's going to happen. And right there and then you just you just know you're on the wrong side of it. And this has been a really violent short squeeze basically since Christmas as you know this kind of narrative of the uh, immaculate disinflation has sort of taken hold and we've gotten these strong job numbers while inflation has come down and i, I think the reason why the squeeze has been so vicious is everybody who's been a market observer or an economist for a long time is looking at the same stuff they're looking at this hugely inverted yield curve they're looking at leading economic indicators they're looking at the senior loan officer survey which uh, was it earlier this week or late last week? I think it was late last week, but came in showing real, real tightness. So cost of capital is going up. The availability of capital is going up. And then obviously you see, um, you know, liquidity features, whether it's Fed balance sheet or M2 or whatever. And you look at all those things and every one of those things tells you, you should be right on the doorstep of a recession. And then boom, you get 517,000 jobs in the non-farm payrolls and we're off to the races. And, you know, it really, I mean, you know, Tesla has doubled. It's doubled. By the way, as we go into a period of a really weak SAR, of far more competition, I won't get into the fundamentals of, of Tesla, but they haven't improved. And yet you've seen so many names with a big short base that have actually literally doubled in the past month. Yeah, and people have gotten speculative too, right? I mean, yeah. talking about DeFi and Bitcoin and everything, that's even had a rally after SBF, and that's you know as speculative as it gets in light yeah. of everything. Uh, you talk yeah. about the two and ten year, it just it's kind of I just saw a meme not too long ago where it was Tom Cruise and Iceman, the Top Gun scene. And he goes, "I was yeah. inverted," and Iceman goes, yeah, "Oh yeah. bullshit!" <laughs> and then I feel like a lot of us feel like Iceman right now, just like. How long do we put emphasis on the indicator and what does it mean in terms of a time frame for, for any kind of correction? Yeah, it's just that there's so many, though. I mean, there's getting Tony Dwyer, who, who I've known for a long time, who was on TV earlier today, and he, he was just like, and he's got the same thing, right? He's talking about the same, he's a bearish, he's not a, a perma bear, he's not like a Nouriel Rubetti, but he's bearish right now. And, you know, he's, he's listing the same things I just listed, like everybody, and, and it's just, it, it's, it's, the confluence of all of those things at the same time that give everybody so much conviction. If you know, if you've been around, if you lived through 07, 08, and 09, you just look at it and you're like, all right, affordability or unaffordability is at all time highs. We've raised interest rates by 300 basis points. Mortgage rates have gone from like 2.8 to 7.1, back all the way down to 6.2. Like 
oh god i guess we're going to be okay again you know people have been priced out of this housing market and you have a freeze i'm still a big believer i don't need to go through the whole thing but michael kantrowitz's hope acronym housing orders profits employment it is playing out is it playing out slower than most people thought yeah but it's still playing out and it's still playing out in the order that it has in in previous recessions yeah um what do you think what do you make of how radically off everyone was on these jobs uh, they increased by 517,000 in january yeah. i mean you had an estimate of 187,000 so that just shattered it and unemployment dropped you know um from 0.35 to 3.4 so really yeah. the lowest unemployment since 1969. yeah i mean you've heard me a million times and for years talk about what i think the quality of the non-farm payroll yeah. numbers and the household yeah. numbers but i always look at weekly jobless claims like if weekly jobless claims is your best data they're kind of telling you the same thing which mm -hmm. is that the labor market is really, really strong. Now, I've articulated ad nauseum why I think there's gonna be a supply problem on labor, right? My whole thesis is we have a long-term labor supply problem and we have a long-term energy supply problem, but it's the demand side that is held up so much better. And we're gonna be talking to Apollo's chief economist next week, Torsten Slock, and one of the things Torsten's been talking about, and I wrote about it as well, is that when you have you now have positive wages in a lot of the economy and that creates not only wage push inflation causing companies to pass along those higher wages but also if people have more money in their pocket there's more demand as well so there does seem to be a dynamic of you still have a ton of the pandemic savings in those top couple quartiles and then you probably do have some demand pull from higher wages in the end, and Bob Prince from Bridgewater talked about this at Davos, ultimately you've got to get profits down. And if company profits start to come down, partly as a result of the Fed raising the cost of capital, the next thing should be layoffs, the next thing should be at least a cyclically looser, because the Fed can't stop. The Fed cannot stop if we still have the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker running at 6%. Other measures are weaker than that, ECI, our average hourly earnings, but there's still plenty of labor indicators that still show that super tight uh, wage growth, wage inflation number that is not consistent with the Fed getting to 2%. Yeah, and you've seen, I mean, some pretty big announcements. Uh, Disney was a recent one where they're laying off 7,000 workers, and that comes on the back of a lot of, obviously, larger tech companies who have announced more significant layoffs uh, but at the same time, you see that employment costs have increased lower than expected. The employment cost index, the Fed watches closely, uh, was up, you know, 1% when we're looking at October to December. When that came in, you know, Dow Jones estimated 1.1. Um, and then, you know, it was less than the third quarter as well. So as, as much as wages have gone up, it's been a little bit softer than expected. I mean, we're getting these layoff announcements, but you know, just they don't add up. They don't seem to add up to that much, and they do seem to be more white collar managerial than mm -hmm. you know where where you have so much job growth has been in um, has been in part time, has yeah. been in the service sector, leisure and hospitality, and it's been part time, and it's one of the reasons why people dismiss the weakness in the average hourly earnings 
because what people are arguing is, well, no, the composition of labor is changing a little bit where more people are forced into having two part-time jobs and they're in the wages are lower. But, if, you know, if you X that out, job for job, like for like is still going higher. Um, but we'll see, man, this is, this is one of the great conundrums. I mean, think about, it wasn't that long ago that Larry Kudlow, not Larry Kudlow, Larry Summers and the Brookings Institute both came out with studies you know, big academic research that looked at a lot of history that basically came to the same conclusion, which is that we got to get to like six, six and a half, seven percent unemployment if we're going to get wages down to a level consistent with two percent uh, inflation. And that clearly is wrong. And, you know, but that doesn't mean um, that the and, and but all it means is that the Fed has to keep working. The Fed has to keep going here, uh, and it looks like the labor market's going to stay tighter. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm as cautious on markets as I am, because there seems to be a belief, and it's priced into the bond market, that we're going to get some economic weakness, and inflation is really just going to roll over hard. Um, and my guess is that's not really the way it's going to go. We're going to keep slowing down really, really slowly. You know, Q1 GDP is now a coin toss, whether it's positive or negative. Um, but you still probably end up with, in many sectors, a tight labor market and a reluctance from companies to lay off workers. But I, I think ultimately Bob Prince and the Bridgewater guys are right. Ultimately, you'll see earnings coming down. I think we'll talk about that later. And following earnings, housing, orders, profits, employment. You will finally see the weakness that you need to see in employment cyclically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and Powell kind of gave a back and forth in terms of job owning on what the jobs data means in terms of longer term um, Fed rate hikes. You know, Raphael Bostic's been talking about it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's I don't know if it's been very straightforward it seems like it's been the job only has been a little bit whimsical on both sides yeah as of now yeah, yeah. I, I gotta feel bad for Powell. like I, I don't feel like he gets torn up on bloomberg and i, I don't feel like his messaging has been that bad i mean mm-hmm. i think it's been kind of clear like yeah we got a ton of goods disinflation but we still have really sticky wage growth mm-hmm. and if you look at what he looks at which is non-housing services, uh, those core services that are really dominated by wages, uh, those are still moving higher. You know, I, I think in the Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker, which was just up, up, updated today, the, the it went sideways for a month. Like we're still, even off of really high levels, we're still not coming down hard. So I, I just think that Powell, and, and, and I think what Powell is worried about uh, which he probably could articulate better, is that so much of that negative tailwind that we've gotten on inflation from inventory clearance. Well, you've gotten a lot of that inventory clearance done. You've gotten a ton of relief on energy. Well, gas prices have been up. Now, I think every week this year, energy has stopped going down. Uh, you actually have seen some inflationary numbers uh, some upticks in inflation around the world, in Asia and in Europe. So, um, you know, I just, I don't think he's been that unclear. I just think it's one of those markets where 
you have so much trading, you have so much of this new phenomenon of one day ODTE, one day to expiry options, option trading dominating the market on an everyday basis that, you know, the Fed comes out, he speaks, the market then rips because of gamma and, and trading activity and just the way people are set up. And then everybody wants to fit a narrative into why that happened. And I think Powell's gotten kind of a bad rap. I think how Powell started this journey is indefensible, but I think where he is now is totally logical. And I don't I don't really think he's screwed up the messaging as much as it is, well, why did stocks go up then if he wants financial conditions tighter? Mm-hmm. What's the guy supposed to do? You know, Lagarde came out and was basically like when somebody said, you know, y'all are promising you're going here on rates and, and the bond markets and the euro dollar markets are way down here. And she goes, yeah, they're going to be wrong and I'm going to prove it. I don't think he wants to be quite that uh, cowboy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we mentioned there's a lot of people are confused. It was just this past year where he had two quarters of economic contraction and everyone said, well, it's clearly a recession. But that turned out to be a yeah kind of sort of not really situation. Um, Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing you're still seeing a lot of that. Uh, I mean, a lot of fundamental principles seem to be eroding. Yeah. We're getting weaker. Look, senior loan officer surveys getting this much tighter when interest rates are this much higher. If we don't have a contraction, everybody who's got a degree in economics is going to have to go back and look at what they learned and and figure out why this is so much wildly different than what history has told us. And again, it is that agreement on all of these factors that are making so many people bearish. It's not just the perma bears. Uh, that is that is that has generated this squeeze. So yeah, and Jim Janos is short seller. You know, he mentioned the other day. I've been on the street since 1980. Not one bear market has ever traded above nine times to 14 times the previous peak earnings. Uh, I mean, so what do you make of the froth? Right? I mean, you're you've got a 40 year historical period yeah. um, that this is this is an outlier. I mean, we're at 19 or 20 times, depending on, you know, we're at 18.5 times roughly last 12 months. We're at probably 19 or 20 times next 12 month, because I think, and and it's coming this way, Q4 S&P earnings are down about three and a half percent for the companies that have reported so far. Don't forget that includes energy companies where earnings are up like 60% year over year. Global industrials are up meaningfully year over year. Whereas if you look at the NASDAQ, you look at the components of the Qs, entertainment Q4 is down like 15%. And you've gone negative now for 2023. So I think we I think we're gonna have negative earnings. And if if we're coming if we're getting through a bear market, I don't think we bottom out at 19, 20 times earnings. I just don't. Especially people always love to talk about how the components have changed and technology and growth of your companies make up so much more of the index. Well, by definition, if earnings are falling for the S&P, but energy and material and earnings are going up, those slow growth, highly cyclical companies are becoming a much bigger part, uh, rapidly becoming a bigger part of the S&P earnings picture. And it just argues again that the multiple should be lower. Yeah, it's just kind of a recalibration of breath, right? I mean, it's been tech-centric for so long and, and you're just gonna see a change. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're in a new world and I think that, you know, the leaders of the new market are not going to be the leaders of the last market. I'm not saying 
tech is not investable and all that. Yeah. But you know, these companies have been valued as high growth companies and now people are buying because they're laying off people. Well, you lay off people because you think you're going to grow less quickly. That doesn't that that is not a reason to be expanding multiples and that's the only thing that's happened in this rally. Numbers are going down. Microsoft's guidance for growth in Azure has come way down. Amazon's growth in AWS has gone way down. So much of software with cap spending coming down is lower and yet multiples have expanded. That's just not, that, that's not something you want to chase as a trader, in my opinion. Um, what do you think um, we should be talking about outside these points? Um, I mean, you know, one thing that I don't think I can add a whole lot of value on is, is continuing to watch the China reopening. You know, you don't see real-time demand numbers out of uh, on the energy side. So, you know, I keep I keep wondering if you're going to start to see much more energy tightness. I saw Paul Sankey talking about refinery margins are super tight all over the world, are strong all over the world. That generally gives you a sense that throughput is really strong, that demand is strong. So maybe you are seeing it. You know, Macau has been stronger, but you're not you're not seeing all of a sudden huge like. Uh, export numbers to China really picking up or other measures of China just like really rapidly accelerating. And I keep thinking that one of the issues is going to be that you are going to have to deal with the implosion of the housing market and all these tier two and tier three cities, the Evergrands of the world who are truly insolvent that are zombies. Uh, and, and what happens? I just, I, I lived through 07, 08, I was smart enough to buy the house that I'm in right now at 05, which was the peak of the rate of change before the housing market imploded. Um, and, you know, like that was a period when everybody believed you can't lose money in a house. Just go as aggressive as you want. And that mentality was absolutely pervasive throughout the Chinese economy. And now you've got this collapse, the greater fool phenomenon of selling an empty apartment, generating no cash flow to somebody else for a higher price. When that bubble pops, there's no reconvincing people that they can make money in housing again when they're down whatever it is, 20%, 30%. I mean, I just have to believe that there's going to be a really major wealth effect here. I'm not saying there isn't a China reopening that, that accelerates demand and probably has an impact on energy prices. I just wonder how, how long it can endure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the developments I was looking at this previous week that might be very interesting and it's you know, people have talked about a functionally a south american european union for quite some time but brazil and argentina are looking at a shared currency so you know i can see where, why argentina would i mean argentina yeah, is right in that, there with like sri lanka and pakistan at this point right the inflation why is would, just out of control why would brazil do that why would leo right. want to throw his lot in with the argentinians for god's sakes which seems interesting, too, because uh, Lula is definitely, in terms of Brazilian paradigm and most of the world, he's definitely a, a man of the progressive left. Um, so, but conversations like that are always, you know, what, what happens if we see like a South American union? Um, again, like it said, it doesn't make too much sense from Brazil's perspective, at least initially, but. And just think about how long these things take to come together. I mean, if you could, there was the, the I think it was called the Mercosur trading agreement throughout all of, of South America. You don't hear about that much anymore. But think about it, how long it took to bring the European 
common currency together. I mean, if Latin America, all of Latin America from Mexico to Chile to, you know, could get together on a common currency, maybe you'd really have something. I, but I, I kind of doubt that whole thing goes anywhere. No. Yeah. I mean, and when you talk about the European Union, that really started off as a coal community uh, within a few countries. And, and then, yeah, it took decades and decades and decades to become the political body it is now. But yeah. yeah. Any takes from the State of the Union? Do you think it matters? Uh so there was less people who watched it by a good clip from last year, but that's you can say the same thing about the Oscars and the Grammys and anything that's live TV. But the way they except repack, for sports, except for live sports, yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah. But the way they re, you know, you can repackage it on YouTube and stuff. I think that um, you know guys like Mike Lee don't look great uh, on the back end when. They've definitely had so positions on Social Security and Medicare um, right. that they don't want to have anymore. And then the, the most bizarre be- part of that debate is that the Democrats are going to, at some point, also have to admit that they have to shore up the funding of Medicare and Social Security. And, yeah. and ultimately, you probably have to change the rate of growth of of, of the payouts. I mean, right. you know, there's. There's no other way to do it unless you want to raise taxes, and good luck with that. So, right. I mean, it, it's one of these games of chicken where, when both people really need to make mature decisions. But I, the, you know, as I keep saying in Congress, the adults have left the room. No, and then it's it's not, and then in ages inevitably go up too, and the Democrats will be part of that just as much. It's not much different than France. I obviously France has much more extensive pension reform, but um, you know, any of the de facto political parties, Macron or anyone else, realizes you're going to have to change the age. And yeah. in terms of what we have as, as a safety net and Social Security, we will probably we are ending up doing the same thing. So. And the most important thing we got to do is grow. We've got to grow. You have to grow receipts. You have to grow the population. We need more immigrants that are paying into Social Security, not just the illegal immigrants who come to this country pay Social Security and we'll never get a dime of it. But, uh, you know, we, we can't have this much, much slower level of immigration when fertility rates are so slow. We have got to grow this country if we are going to be able to fund Social Security and Medicare when I'm old and and when you're old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, Western Europe's been able to, for several decades, create a very high quality of uh, living standards with low growth. But those days seem to be ending in terms of pension feasibility. Uh, and the U.S. obviously has increased um, quality of life over the last 30 years in, in most meaningful metrics. So no we're doubt. an outlier there. But uh, but at the end of the day, do you need GDP to yeah. supplant any of this stuff? And the stuff the that really thing, matters. And it's know? the same thing for our budget deficits, right? It's yeah. it's the last slide in my in my deck where I go through the the Larry Summers debt doom loop. Like you better keep the revenue coming uh, because as you get into these structural deficits. Ultimately, we're going to get to a point where people think about big deficit spending as inflationary. Um, And that drives, in part, drives inflation expectations. And that is not what we want. We ultimately need to have growth and we ultimately need to have both Democrats and Republicans come together on what is realistic spending growth. And uh, ultimately, I think we're going to end up in a situation where we have a mix of austerity and higher taxes that simply slow growth. And once you get into the situation, there's no easy escape from it. 
It's not you just raise taxes by 20% and get 20% more money. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and getting back, I guess, the State of the Union is one thing that shocked me is, you know, 10 years ago at a State of the Union and be, well, both parties seem to have kind of a country club narrative. And now you're kind of shocked at how populist both parties are acting yeah. within the State of the Union. It's like, you guys want to yeah. cut safety nets. It's, no, we don't. We like safety nets more than you do. Uh, so that's just <laughs> completely, it's just a radically yeah. different departure from yeah, it was 10 years. The fight for the middle class, yeah. the yeah. fight for that, the fight for yeah. that white Midwestern worker. Right. Uh, that's the battle. The Democrats have lost a lot of that union vote and they got to fight to get it back, especially as union membership starts to really grow again. And I think union membership is going to grow a lot. And that's why you're talking about Intel plants in Ohio, and yeah. then you've got factories opening up in Tennessee and Kentucky, as opposed to more coastal areas. So that's a whole part of the rebrand and the kind of realignment on, yeah. you know, where our political parties are kind of trying to shore up support. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right, brother. All right, sounds good. Um, we're looking forward to the conversation next week for all our listeners and subscribers. Uh, thanks, and and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.